This is the Woodland Hills Family Church Podcast. Our desire is to inspire you and your family to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Now, enjoy today's message with Adam Donier. And today's topic is specifically when your child walks away from God, right? So, so obviously that's probably my greatest fear as a parent. And I know that God doesn't give us a spirit of fear to many, but that is, that is a legit, like, I got two boys. I got a 10-year-old and soon to be 8-year-old, and I love and adore them. And nothing matters more to me than those two boys when they get older walking with Jesus. Not how many touchdowns they score, not what their GPA is. Nothing matters more to me than a dad than if they are walking with Jesus. Now, I've had siblings that aren't walking with Jesus. I've had relatives, and it's tough. It's hard. But I can't even experience or even relate to some of you and how much pain you have right now. Because I know that some of you have adult children that are not walking with God. They're in addiction. They're, they're, they're in secularism. And they have chose not to follow what you tried to bring them up or raise them up in. And so we're going to talk about that today. We're just going to look at it. We're going we're to see what scripture says about it. We're going to see why you should stop beating yourself up if your child's making poor decisions. And, and that there's hope. And there's always hope. In Jesus, And so the, the verse I want to start off with, which I think is really important, is train a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, I think it's important for you guys to know that the Bible is 66 books. And the Old Testament is 39 books. The first 17 is what we would call historical books. The last 17 is what we would call prophetical books. But the five in the middle are what we call poetical books. Proverbs is one of those five poetical books. So it's really important for you to know that this is not a promise. This is a principle. So the book of Proverbs and Psalms and Ecclesiastes and Songs, those are principles. So just because you train a child in the way he goes, this isn't a promise that they won't depart. And I say that to encourage you, don't get angry with God if they decided not to follow God, because this isn't a promise. Now, there's a great principle. Yes, train your child up. Yes, point them to Jesus. Yes, do all those things. But the Proverbs are not a promise. There are principles to live by, right? So I want to show you this graphic, this statistic real quick. When we talk about our child in the church, and it's really important when we walk through this, and I know you can't read it, but I'm explaining it, and the church is going to post this on their social media so you can go through and read this later. But it says 75% of kids left the church from 18 to 29. Ted sent me this graphic, and we text back and forth about it this week, and there's a couple pieces of this that I want to illuminate, okay? 75% of millennials or Gen Zers leaving the church isn't necessarily mean they're leaving the faith. I know a lot of Gen Zers and millennials that refuse to go to church but still love Jesus, right? And a lot of their reasoning is being is because they're seeing a lot of failed leaders. We've seen in the last decade a lot of failed Christian leaders, mega platforms, mega influence, making very bad moral decisions. But I want you to hear this, right? Ted Cunningham is probably one of my favorite people in this world. But Ted Cunningham is not Jesus, and, and Ted Cunningham would be the first to tell you that he needs Jesus too. Adam Donye needs Jesus. And so why I'm saying that is even leaders will fail. And so what young people are doing is as soon as a leader fails, they say, that's my reason for not following Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, people standing up here just as desperately need Jesus as you do. And if I ever, heaven forbid, by God's grace, don't. But if I ever made a mistake, don't let that confuse you who Jesus still is. I need him. Ted needs him. So when a pastor fails or a spiritual leader fails, that doesn't change who Jesus is, was, and will always be. 
right? And so what's happening is so many young people are reflecting the moral failures of their leaders and saying, see how hypocritical they are? No, I'm not hypocritical. Listen to me. I need Jesus. And guess what? I sin and I'm going to sin. So how can I be hypocritical when I already just told you I'm going to sin? Now, by God's grace, I hope I never disqualify myself from ministry, but there's nothing hypocritical about that. I'm telling you I need Jesus, right? And so young people say, well, see, they, tell, they preach one thing and live another way. No, by God's grace, hopefully I don't. I'm going to try my best to follow his word, but I'll fall short, as will all of you, as will Ted, right? So may we give grace, may we shower grace, and understand that the leaders of the church are not Jesus, Okay? And here's why 25% of them actually stayed connected with Christ, okay? A quarter of them did from this ages 18 to 29. You can't read about it. They ate dinner with a family five to seven nights a week. This is one of the Donye family seven pillars. It's table. My two boys will tell you, we cut off from technology, we sit at our table, we talk about our highs and lows, and we, and we process the day. Tech-free dinner, sit down. It's really hard for my eight-year-old, but he's getting better. He's like his dad. He does not sit still very well, okay? But he's getting there, Okay. They serve with their families in a ministry, right? This is really important. So, so they're already plugged in. And Stephanie Watson and Katie Gum and Mackenzie, they will tell you so many ways that your kids can get plugged into this church with you serving this church, right? It, it's a phenomenal opportunities to be givers rather than takers, right? Number three, they had one spiritual experience in the home during the week, right? So, so they're, they're talking about spiritual things. They're experiencing spiritual things at the home. And, and here's the, what's so important that you guys need to understand. You can do as amazing job in your home as you can at raising your kids up in the Bible and having prayer times and devotions. But at the end of the day, your child still has to wrestle with their faith and own their faith. You want to know why? God doesn't have any grandchildren. None. God only has children. And so your faith will not get your child into heaven. Now, granted, grandchildren are God's reward for not killing your kids. <laughs> but he still doesn't have any grandchildren. All right? Like, like you got to help them process and own their faith and let them work through things uh, and, and point them towards spiritual things. But your faith can't be their faith. I run a nine-month discipleship program. So kids graduate high school. They spend a year with me. And then they go off to college or other vocations. And it's crazy every year of kids that have come from strong Christian homes. I know their mommy and daddy, phenomenal people that don't understand their faith. And they get with me and they start wrestling with their faith. And for the first time, they believe they were Christians. They come to own their faith and truly start walking with Jesus. Right. Which gets to this point. Uh, I'm sorry. And they're entrusted with responsibility in ministry at an early age. That's number four. But to this point, they had at least one faith focused adult in their lives other than their parents. It's what my ministry provides. It's another voice that's only echoing what their parents have already said, right? Whether you agree or disagree with her, Hillary Clinton said one thing that I do agree with, and that she said it takes a village. That, that, that's Deuteronomy. If you read the Old Testament, like, like when they got out of the slavery from Egypt and went into the wilderness, all the Israelites, right? They were in villages. They were helping raise families together. They just gave a segue to a small group and community group. It, it, it's a group. Right now, one of my boys is one of my dearest friends because my wife's out of town. You want to value your wife. Get her out of town for two days and try to be Mr. Mom and see how that goes, okay? So my wife is out of town right now, and, and one of my guys that I trust is with my boys. They were with my boys all day yesterday, right? Like, we need villages. We need help. And, and that's what it's saying is, is that you need other people around them, other voices around them, reassuring what you believe, and speak in the same worldview as a Christian that you have. 
right? And, and so probably the most relevant passage we can look at when we talk about a child walking away from the faith is in the Gospel of Luke. And some of you have heard it, and, and maybe you've pulled some things out from before, and some of you haven't. But the Gospel of Luke talks about the parable of the prodigal son. And he, this is Jesus speaking, is giving a parable. And he's about to give this parable about a child that walks away from the faith or walks away from his father, right? It's in Luke chapter 15, but you can follow me on the screen. And he said, Jesus, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. So already we know this individual is focused on worldly things and not spiritual things. Some of you in here have children or grandchildren that are completely consumed with their phones and the world and everything else and have no inclination to want to be involved in spiritual things. And so there's two, pe- there's two sons, and this son is completely focused on the world. And he divided his property between them, the two sons, that is. And, and so we understand that, that as he did this, as he gave them their property, attempts to buy our children's salvation or love is futile. It doesn't work. You can't buy your child's salvation. You can't make bargains with them like, hey, if you go to church, then I'll give you gas this week for your car. Or if you go to Bible study, then I'll do you that. It doesn't work. That it's, a, it's a contradicting message when you try to buy your child's salvation or love because that's not what Jesus did. No, no, no. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 said it is by grace you've been saved, not by works, so that no one can boast. This is a free gift of God. It is grace. Right. So when we start trying to equate like, hey, I'm going to give you your share of property. So then maybe you'll stay with your father and still, you'll still do this. You can't you can't buy your child's salvation or future. It doesn't work like that in Christianity. Right. It goes on to say in the parable. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had took had and he took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. I, I imagine in today's culture, we say he squandered his property in addiction. Some of you in here right now have children that are addicted to different things or grandchildren that are addicted to things and he squandered it all with addiction. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose and in that country and he began to be in need. Now this is important to understand. Enabling poor decisions only brings more pain. And I, I know as a child you want to love and you want to do, or as a parent you want to love and you want to do everything you can for your child to make sure but, but I just had a parent two weeks ago drop, my program just started two weeks ago, and I had some parents drop their son off. Their son made a really poor decision literally the night before they dropped him off, and they caught him in this decision. And so now the mom was being really strong, and the dad was being really strong, and said, hey, because you made this decision, we're not going to let you have your truck first semester. Threw a fit. Son threw a fit. He was mad. He was angry the whole bit. He just threw a fit. Then they sit down with me. He didn't even want to come now because it wasn't even out of his vehicle. I sit down with the three of them on the couch and I just praise mom. Yes, mom. Yes, dad. Yes. Do not let him out of his truck. He's proved he's not responsible to have right now. He doesn't have a job. He's not paying the gas. He's not paying the insurance. He's not doing any of those things. Let's not enable him, but let's do this. If he keeps making good decisions and we get to Thanksgiving and he's done everything we've asked him to do and he's been honest and not perfect. We don't ask any of our students to be perfect, but he's progressed. Let's give him his truck back. Mom high-fives, dad high-fives, son high-fives. He's in the program. He's had a phenomenal first two weeks. I'm praying he continues on that path. But don't enable. When you enable, it just only continually enforces poor decisions. When when you continually give an addict money, of course he's only going to spend it on the things that he's addicted to. Right? You don't don't take an alcoholic to a bar. 
that, that just doesn't make sense. You don't give money to somebody who is continually making poor decisions. As hard as it is, sometimes as parents, we've got to allow them to wreck, right? When you take those training wheels off for that first time, eventually they wreck, but you can help them get back on the bike when they're ready to learn and listen, okay? It goes on to say in the parable, so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. Talk about hitting rock bottom. Right? I mean, he's eating in the pods with the pigs. Like he's hit rock bottom. Like this guy squandered everything. He's made poor decisions. He was addicted to whatever and he's rock bottom. And so when you see your child hit rock bottom, the easy thing for mom or dad to do is to beat themselves up, right? And I want to tell you as a parent, don't beat yourself up. Mom or dad, grandma, grandpa, stop. Don't beat yourself up. Don't beat yourself up. It's not your fault, right? It, it, the, the, the reality is any child walking with Jesus... And I asked two friends of mine this week that have kids that are walking with Jesus, right? Adult children walking with Jesus. And I asked both of them, and they both answered me the same thing, and I didn't even know that both of them answered the same way. And I said, how are all four of your kids still walking with Jesus? Both of them said the same thing. By God's grace alone. Nothing they did. I mean, yes, they, they ushered him into church, and yes, they ushered him into the presence of Jesus, and yes, they did those things, and yes, they did Bible study. But at the end of the day, they both recognized it is nothing short of the grace of God. Because you know what? I've seen some phenomenal parents, like amazing parents, over-the-top parents where they're giving, and they're doing mission trips, and they're loving their kids, and they're doing everything. And their kids are so far off the deep end, it's not even funny. And those parents were amazing parents. And then I've seen some really jacked-up parents that have phenomenal kids. So don't beat yourself up and definitely don't give yourself too much credit. It is God's grace alone, right? John Piper says it best. Look at this. We all sinned. We all did less than we could. None of us prayed as much as we could. None of us fasted as much as we could. Did you fast at all? None of us humbled ourselves as much as we could. None of us was consistent in our life as we could have been. None of us was faithful to the word of God as we could have been. None of us in exhortation, kindness, meekness, or gentleness was as good as we could have been. It is hopeless to base our present peace and joy on the assurance that we did a good job as parents. That is building a house on sand. What Piper is saying is God's grace. Yes, point your kids to God. Point them into his presence. Let them know it is grace. And you do that by showing them how desperately you need grace. Don't ever assume that just because I'm a teaching pastor that I don't need grace just as desperately as you knew. And when I come across that way, it gives the wrong message to young people and to you. We, we recently went three weeks ago. Yeah, it was three weeks ago now. I took my family of four on a uh, trip. They're, no, they're not vacations when you go with kids. They're just trips. And so, and so we... We, we went on a serious trip where we flew into Salt Lake City, rented a car, drove from Salt Lake City into Jackson, up to Yellowstone, Island Park, Idaho, and all the way back down to Salt Lake City. So uh, when you have a trip with a 10-year-old and an 8-year-old in the car, and the 8-year-old already doesn't want to sit still very well, you can imagine that. So uh, are we there we yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And I, I just tell them, every time you ask, somehow it gets 20 minutes longer, Okay. And so, but, but during that, impatience traveling, hotel to hotel each night, because we were trying to see all the great Northwest, uh, I, I got impatient with my wife, and I just kind of snapped in the car. It kind of got at her. And, and my boys are in the back car. You can't hide in a little car, a little Toyota Corolla. You're still trying to get gas mileage on, right? So you're in there. And, and uh, I snapped. But we get to the hotel that night, and I grab my boys. And I, and I just grab both of them, and I just say, hey, Aiden Anders, come here. Hey, 
your dad blew it. Like I blew it in the car with mom earlier. You heard that, you saw that. I, I want you to know that. I've already asked God to forgive me, but as her sons, will you forgive me? Will you two forgive me? In this moment, mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, I'm showing my boys that their dad is not Superman and that their dad needs Jesus, right? So the more you try to act like you got it all together and your son or your daughter can't see your shortcomings because you have to have it all together, does not show them Jesus. And then they grow up somehow thinking they have to have it all together and they have to act a certain way and they have to look a certain way, but they know behind scenes that that's not really who you are and it grows this great distaste for who Jesus actually is, right? Humility attracts your children to Jesus. The same thing that attracts you to Jesus will be the same thing that attracts your children to Jesus. And it's not about you having to have it all together and do everything right. Look what the rest of the parable says. It goes on to say that, but when he came to himself, so he, he came to this realization on his own. It wasn't by his dad lecturing him. It wasn't by his dad berating him. It wasn't by his mom making him feel bad. It, was, it wasn't none of these things. He came to himself. So the Spirit of God did something in him, and he realized, oh my goodness, what am I doing? He said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? He understood he was perishing. He understood he was going to die. Right? We're talking about a spiritual term. So that's the most powerful thing your child will ever come to the reality of is that they are spiritually dead. He understood he was going to die. I will arise. I'm going to throw a word there. It's really important. I will repent. I will repent and turn from my sinful ways and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned. Gosh, humility is so attractive. Against heaven and before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So I love this illustration. So this is a cone. There's nothing special about this cone. And there's this balloon. And I think so many times, unintentionally, we try to modify our children's behavior. Right? We, we say, hey, go to church. <laughs> Memorize scripture. Look a certain way. Act a certain way. Talk a certain way. Don't watch that movie. Don't listen to that music. Don't hang out with those people. And we sit there and try to modify their behavior. And they say, okay, now come into the kingdom of God. Like we're gonna keep modifying. But if I keep pushing this on them and I keep trying to modify their behavior and put this weight on them that is unable for them to carry, eventually if I kept pushing on this balloon, it would pop. It would pop. If I pushed it through this cone, it would pop. As a matter of fact, Matthew 7, 14 says, small is the gate, narrow is the way that leads to life. And only a few will find it. It's a small gate that comes into heaven. And the proud don't get in there. I can never squeeze this balloon without it blowing up. And so when we put all these pressure and demands on our kids to act a certain way and behave a certain way that is counter to what the gospel aptly is, they'll explode. And so they'll either run from the faith or they'll go live in secularism or addictions or whatever other choice in their own immorality and they'll go do this because they, pressure is just too much for them to bear. When the reality, when they see a mom or a dad or a grandparent empty themselves and completely realize that they too have to empty and humble themselves and empty all their own flesh and all their own desires. That's the only way they get into heaven. It's not by works. It's not about them puffing themselves up. It's not being better. It's not being greater. It's not none of those things. And what's crazy is once you come into here, the heart transformation takes place. Then the behavior follows. <laughs> then they start coming out of this cone and they grow and it looks different. 
But never in my life have I seen the behavior modification lead to the heart transformation. Jesus rebuked those that just tried to modify the behavior. He called them Pharisees and Sadducees. Jesus always wanted to get to the heart. He always wanted them to empty themselves. He always, hey, get to the heart first, and then the behavior will follow. Don't try to modify the behavior and expect the heart to get there, right? Now, I, I understand five, seven, eight years old, that's an age where you're literally control over influence. But, but there comes a point where you got to get to your child's heart. You, you, you got to start trying to make them do, be, and act. That's not Jesus. Show me where in the Gospels did Jesus say do, be, and act. He said, no, it is by me and me alone. You know that because my father revealed it to you, right? They condemn you, but I don't condemn you. Get up, prostitute. Wait, wait, wait a minute. All these Pharisees are telling me I got to act a certain way. I'm a prostitute. And you're telling me to get up and follow you? What do I got to do? No, nothing. What do you mean nothing? You don't have to do nothing. I'm going to do it all for you on the cross. All you need to do is look to me. And I took it all. The parable goes on to say, and he arose and came to his father. He came to his senses. He's coming back to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced and kissed him. Mom or dads, if you got a child that's off, let these three words just come deeply into your heart right now. Never lose hope. We serve a God of hope. We, we, we serve a God that transforms hearts. Many of you in here know because he's transformed yours. He's taken a heart of stone and turned it into a heart of flesh. And you might have a child right now that has a heart of stone and doesn't even want to talk to you because they just feel like preach that. They don't even want to be around you because they love their addiction more than their family just because they're not thinking clearly. And that's what addictions do. And it's one of the hardest things I've ever gone through with my own loved ones in my life. Addictions is a tough thing. But let me tell you, never lose hope. We serve a God of hope, right? And sometimes that connection can be so far off. So, so I got this little eight-year-old. This is my little prankster. My, my firstborn, he's, he does everything right. He's type A, typical firstborn order, whole thing. He does everything. But my eight-year-old loves to mess with the 10-year-old. And he loves to poke the bear. And then the bear eventually bites back. And then the eight-year-old wants to cry. I'm like, bro, stop poking the bear then, right? <laughs> but one day, we got two remotes that go to the same TV. And so he comes in. It's like, daddy, 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 does this remote control that TV? Yeah, 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 yeah. Goes into his room. He starts playing with the remote. His brother's in the other room, but it's not working in the TV. He comes back. He's like, Daddy, I thought you told me this remote works for the TV. I go, it does, buddy, but you got to be closer to the TV. If you're not closer to the TV, it's not, it's not by its source. It's not, it's not going to have a connection. So then he comes around the corner. He's hiding. He hits mute, and then he goes hide. Then he goes and turns it off, and the bear starts getting frustrated. But what he didn't realize is there was nothing wrong with the remote. There was nothing wrong with the TV. He was too far from the source. The connection wouldn't work because he was too far from the source. And when I try to use something and connect to something, th this remote works. Trust me, I use it in my house. This isn't the right source I'm trying to, this isn't the right connecting that I'm trying to get to the source. So you've got to connect him to the right source and you can't let them drift too far off. And when they do, James 4, 8 says this, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. So what are ways to stir your child's heart's affections for Jesus without being preachy, without being legalistic, just loving them. You know, that's with John 3, 16, most of you can quote that one Bible verse, for God so loved, what does love look like? It doesn't look like lectures. It doesn't look like judgment. It doesn't look like criticism. It doesn't look like preaching. No, it's love. 
And, and when you love them and invite them, you allow that to get closer to the source so that it serves its purpose and its function. But when this gets away from its source, it doesn't serve its purpose or function. Then you get lost and wayward. And like, I don't even know you this. You throw it out. I don't know what TV it goes to. Right? And then you try to go buy one of those universal remotes that you saw on a stinking infomercial, right? <laughs> the parable goes on to say, and the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Humility is so attractive. Moms, dads, grandparents, it's attractive in you. I've told you guys this a million times from up here. I've never met a humble person I didn't like. Never like, man, I don't like that person. They're not humble. I've never heard anyone say that, as a matter of fact, right? And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, right? And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. And what a great celebration that will be in your own heart when your wayward child or your wayward grandchild, it comes back to Jesus, comes back to God and walks and owns and, and is in their faith. That, that's why I do what I do. The program I run, there is no greater joy than when I see a young adult completely own their faith and trust and love Jesus on their own. Not because of mom or dad's faith or not because somebody else said it, but because they realize and see who he is for the first time parable goes on to say now his older son was in the field right and he came and drew near to the house he heard music and dancing and he called one of the servants and asked hey what do these things mean and he said to him your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound but he was angry and he refused to go in Whew. timothy keller wrote an entire book on this right here it's actually called the prodigal god and he focuses the whole book on this son rather than the other son we've been looking at the whole time. And he talks about how self-righteousness isn't going to get you into heaven either. Right? So this, this son is, I've done everything you've asked. I've been everybody you've wanted me to be. Look, I've done everything. His father came out and treated him. But he answered him, Father, look, these many years I've served you. Look at my works. Look at how I went to Bible study and how I went to church and how I did everything you told me to do. And No, 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 no. You did it out of legalism and self-righteousness. You're missing the point entirely. Christ will produce those works in you. And so when we show up as Christians like this, right? Just like this, you're like, what do you mean? All shiny and nice on the outside. You see his book, it's called Atomic Habits. But do you know what? That's not what this book is at all. As a matter of fact, you pull the slip cover back. It's actually a book called Spiritual Leadership by Henry Blackaby. But we love as Christians and we love to try to get our kids to look a certain way and to act a certain way and just, just do the right thing. And he's like, that's what I'm doing. But when you actually get into the heart of the book, this book will teach you nothing about atomic habits. Matter of fact, it's just a slipcover on a different book. This book will teach you nothing. But we're like, no, 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 look at me. This is who I am. No, 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 that is not who your child is. And that's not who you are. This is who you are. And this is who Christ wants. He's not enamored with this. And, and you don't think for a second this matters. The entire world your children and grandchildren live in is everything about the cover of this book. Social media, external, out front, everything, what the outside looks at, and nothing in their world is getting to this. The actual core, the heart of what matters. And so you don't get to your heart of your child through social media, technology, and everything else. You get to the heart of your child by opening the book. This isn't your child. This isn't you, as a matter of fact. You can show up to church and put on a good face and act like you got everything together, but I already know you don't. And I'm already telling you I don't. That's why I'm here, because I desperately need him, and so do you. So when you walk in here, you know already, guess what? I know this isn't you. I know your junk is in here. 
But guess what? Jesus said, I want the junk. He said, that's okay that, that I get into your story and there's some messy parts in your story. There's some parts of your story that really need to be cleaned up. But don't, 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 don't try to clean it up. I clean it up, says Jesus. Uh, oh, that pay? Oh, what you did when you were 22? Don't worry, I clean that up. Oh, oh what you did when you were 30 before you were married? Oh, I, I, I clean that up too. No, no, but I don't want to tell you about this part, Jesus. No, 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 no. I clean that up too. I'll take all of it to the cross. And you don't have to try to clean it up yourself. Can I get an amen? amen? That's what's beautiful about the gospel. That's what's beautiful about grace. It's not about you trying to put a facade on the front like you got it all together. Because trust me, I know a lot of people that act like they do and they are falling apart. Had two people reach out to me this week that, that you would never know from social media that their marriages are completely falling apart. You would never know. You start digging and poking, you're like, whoa, there's some stuff in this story we got to unpack. The parable goes on to say, but when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. Like you're missing the point, bro. Your brother just came to know Christ. Your brother's walking with Jesus. Why are you bitter and jealous? Praise with me, sing with you. You're missing the point entirely. Matter of fact, do you even know Jesus, right? That's what's going on here. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. It's a great, great story that gives all of you hope that may have a child that's not following God or walking with God, right? And, and I want to give you, I want to leave with this verse to give you hope right out of Scripture. It's out of Second Peter, and this is what it says. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. It might feel slow to you and the pain you're going through right now because of your child or your friend's child or whatever it is. It, it's not slow to the Lord but he's patient towards you. Praise God that he's patient towards me. Whew. He, he, he had to give me 20 years of patience. I'm telling you that right now. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That's his heartbeat. That's God's heartbeat for your wayward child. That's God's heartbeat for all of you. That's God's heartbeat for your relatives, your brothers, your sisters, whoever else may not be going. That's God's heartbeat. He wants everyone to know him, but he's so full of love, he's not going to force and thrust himself upon you to where you, have, you don't have a decision. Then that wouldn't be love at all. So, so, so if, if you can't control your child's salvation, which you can't, you can usher them into places that stir their heart's affections. You can help the graphic that I pointed to, and some of those things help them have a better understanding. You can be humble. You can be transparent. You can, and I think all those things help soften hearts, but ultimately you will never transform your child's heart. And so the reality is it's nothing short of God's grace. It is nothing short of God's grace that if you have children in church with you today that are sitting and listening to this message with you, that is nothing short of God's grace. I don't need to polish your halo and I'm not going to beat you up. It is nothing short of God's grace. So if it is nothing but the work of God, then the most strongest encouragement I can give you is this. Pray. 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 Instead of, instead of gossiping and complaining about your child that's addicted, Pray. What if you spent all the energy you did worrying and complaining and giving yourself anxiety about your child? What if you prayed about that child instead? And so, so I'm going I'm to do something because I, I know there's some families in here, especially from the response of last service, which was overwhelming. I, I'm going to ask because I want to pray for you right now. I want to pray for your child. I want to pray for your grandchildren. I'm going to ask right now if you have a child or a grandchild that, that is addicted or chasing the world or is in sexualism or living in sexual immorality and is so far away from God, I'm going to ask right now that you just raise your hand. 
Just raise your hand. Keep them up because I'm about to pray for all of you. And then when I'm done praying, I'm going to dismiss you. But this is what I want to ask you to do. We have a prayer team. And if you care about this child that you're raising your hand, come up and give our prayer team their name. That's what they're here for. The prayer team will pray, not for your child today. They'll pray for them all week. They'll pray for them all month. They'll pray for them all year. And just watch God work. Watch God work because at the end of the day, if we're not praying, what are we doing? God will move in hearts. God will be the ones that change. So raise your hand and here we go. You ready? Father God, we just come before you and recognize that you are the miracle worker. You are the one that pulls us out of the muck and mire. You are the one that pulls us from addictions. You are the one that pulls away from our junk and our trash. And by you and you alone are we saved. And through your grace alone, and may we not try to clean ourselves up. And so I just pray for every hand in this auditorium that was raised that has a child, a son, a daughter, a granddaughter, a grandson that, that is just chasing the world, that is consumed with addiction, that is lost, that is wayward, whatever it may be, God, we just pray and ask, would you soften their hearts? Would you enlighten the eyes of their hearts? Would you get them to the end of their self so like the prodigal son, they repent and come back to you? I pray for every single hand up in here that is going through this right now, that is heavy, that is hurting, that is crying, that is crying out to you, Lord, that would you do a work in their child's heart? Would you do a work that only you can do? Would you help us to walk in transparency and humility and just show them you reflected in us? Help us, Lord. We need you. Be with these children. It's in the mighty and matchless name of God we pray. And everybody said.